Quick throw left side, has the first down and more up the sideline. 40, 30, 20, 10, 5, touchdown, Houston. There is no offseason for your Houston Texans. Game day is every day. Now, it's Texans All Access. Hello, Texans. Welcome to the program. Mark Vandermeer, John Harris with you. Let's rock into the weekend here on Texans Radio with plenty to, to discuss. Nick Casario met with the media today. We'll hear a couple of things, what he had to say about moving up and down on the draft. Johnny and I actually visited with him, but we're going to save that for next week. A little longer visit on some of the nuances of Casario's first draft as the general manager of the Houston Texans. And of course, drawing on some New England experience because he has two decades of experience there, Johnny. And, you know, I want to start right there with you. Of course, they've been through some drafts in New England and, you know, some have gone better than others. I just think it's going to be interesting to see him at the helm of his own draft because what you'll never know, uh, unless uh, he tells you privately or something, (laughs) what you'll never know is, you know, where did he disagree with Belichick on certain players? And he thought maybe they should have taken a guy that they didn't, or they shouldn't have taken a certain player that they did. Who knows? Because everybody's got an opinion and now it's his decision. He keeps saying we, it's an organizational thing, but you know, he's the guy who has the final say here. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in a couple of weeks. No doubt. I I've said this, man, I don't know. I don't know how many times over the years, just because somebody works closely with somebody you're going to take a certain number of things but when you do it on your own you may you may think completely differently about that situation look the texans the patriots are are two different organizations two different ways of looking at it they're built you know differently so over the years knowing that they had tom brady all those years there were certain things that they could do or would want to do from a draft perspective they, I, I've thought it was interesting because reading after Nick was hired, Greg Bedard, who we know very well and covers the Patriots and covers Boston sports, does a really nice job with uh, Boston sports online. He created that himself, came from SI. He was talking about the drafts the Patriots have had the last few years and that you know, there, was a, there was a thought from those in the media that, you know, that Bill Belichick was – you know, kind of pulling the strings, even though that he was getting information from Nick and from his personnel staff to go one way, you know, Bill was seeing it a different way and he was going to be the ultimate shot caller. Well, that's being put to the test in some sense because Nick is going to be the one telling whomever to write the name on a card, write this name on a card, pick number 67, let's go. It's his. And I can imagine all the different drafts he's done. Now the, the, the fact that he is solely responsible for what happens in this draft and building this roster. Uh, I think it's a challenge just in talking to him. I think it's a challenge. A, he's not intimidated by it. Not that anybody would think he is, but he's definitely not. I think he's looking forward to it. I think he loves the team building aspect of the NFL. I think he, he loves that. It, I get that feeling. I mean, and if all the transactions are an example yeah. of that, it continues. Uh, even today, we got two, uh, transactions that happen with two guys that could man, very well play a role for this team if they end up being healthy. But I think, I think Nick is looking forward to the, to the, the opportunity to be collaborative with his staff, with James Lipford, director of college scouting, and look forward to having a tremendous draft. But once you're the one making that call, I mean, you know, look, you and I, you and I have done how many game broadcasts together and all these different broadcasts together. And, you know, 
if I one day when I'm 80 years old went to go do a play-by-play somewhere, would people expect me to say rock and roll on a touchdown? Well, well yeah, he was with Mark. I mean, Mark used to do it, so he should do it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, so it, it, people wouldn't expect me to do it. So don't expect Nick to be just like Bill Belichick, even though he spent a lot of time together. This is his draft, and doing it for this organization is going to be different than what they would have done, even if it was his draft up in New England. Well, we're going to play more likely to happen a little bit later. We'll have some draft-related questions in that segment. But one of the things that's going to come up is trades. Moving up and down in the draft, it was interesting to me how Brian Gain, when he ran the draft, didn't really move. And he had picks to use that he used carefully. And there were some good picks there. Justin Reed among them, no doubt about it. But I think Casario, based on what we've seen so far, is going to do some moving. And he was asked about that during his press conference today. Here's what he had to say. I think when you just look at the draft in general, right, there's a multitude of strategies that you can employ. A lot of that is based on resource allocation, and a lot of it is really player-driven, right? So when you talk about, A, moving up for a player or moving up in the draft, who are you moving up for, right, and what's the cost associated with doing that, right? So in order to move X number of spots, okay, it's going to cost you this, right? So part of our draft, I would say, preparation is look at different scenarios, right? How far could we actually move relative to the resources that we currently have in place, right? So I think the most important thing is always being prepared to pick whenever you're scheduled to pick. And if there's an opportunity to move up or down, we'll have, we'll be flexible, we'll be open-minded, and we'll just try to make best use of the resources that we have. I would say there's no set formula, Mark, of, of going up or going down. And it's very player-specific and very player-driven. So if you feel like you might be at risk of potentially losing a player and there's a player that you really like, okay, maybe it's worth moving five or six spots. And then what's the cost associated with doing that? So again, we're going to have to look at our picks, what we have, what gives us the opportunity to move up. If we want to move down, we think we can move back and acquire the same player. There's some risk involved in that. So you try to weigh everything and just try to make a good decision whenever you have to pick. Johnny, I like listening to Nick speak because he's animated, he's passionate, he's smart. And again, we don't know how it's all going to work out, but so far, I really like what I saw. And you mentioned it before the cut there that, hey, you can tell he likes making some transactions here because he's made plenty of them. I can understand wanting to do that and having this whole project here because, look, people look at the Texans and everybody knows what happened last year with the four win season and they know the quarterback situation, it being what it is. Nick is really retooling this whole thing, and he's the first one to tell you also, hey, I don't know who's going to be on the team come training camp or after training camp. You know, he's not a lot of guys. There's no guarantee for anybody, and I think that means it's all wide open, but you know they have a plan, and he's not going to tell you everything. So a lot of GMs, like a lot of GMs, he's not going to give you the game plan going into the draft. A lot of GMs hold press conferences and they say a whole lot about nothing. I think he gave you a little bit more than a lot of them would though, as to what he's thinking in terms of how he approaches it anyway, maybe not how he regards every single player and position group though. I think for me listening to him, Mark, it was, you know, sort of confirmation as to what I've, I've believed over the years about how you do move up and down a draft board. And that is you look at it and, and you look at, you know, we're thinking about this particular player or, or we're thinking about this particular position. We look up on the board and we go, man, we got four or five guys that we absolutely could take. And, and any of the four of the five, we have very, we have very closely ranked and we pick in eight spots 
So you know what? Why don't we see if somebody wants to move up? Maybe not for one of those players, maybe for a player of their own choosing. However, we're still going to get one of those four or five guys that's going to go. I mean, it's a it's a simple, you know, kind of econ 111, which I talked to Bill O'Brien many, many years ago. It's it's simply that. It's just supply and demand. If there are a bunch of players that are available and you feel like you can get one of those, you kind of play, you play it out and you trade down. And then all of a sudden, man, three of those guys come off the board. And now there's only one in that mix. Well, you know, move back up and go get one. Um, and then see what the net is at the end of the day. And look, you know, Bill did that uh, last year with the draft and kind of moved around to be able to get John Heck and uh, John Heck, John Reed and Charlie Heck. There I go, merging names. Uh, and I think Nick is absolutely going to do the, the same thing. I feel for him in some sense that that first night on Thursday, there's going to be, at this point, there's nothing there. and. There's a part of me that thinks, kind of like it was for Ryan Gant, hey, look, it's a good kind of trial run to kind of go through a night and go through the rounds and discuss various things that are happening and then put it all together at the end of the night and then go back in to day two. And I think that that's what Nick will do, and and I'm looking forward to seeing how they handle it. But it's got to be tough to kind of be chomping at the bit to make some draft picks uh, and then have to wait till 67, the last NFL team, to make a pick. But – after once you get to 67 from, from 67 to 233 eight picks and i wrote some i you know mark i wrote today for my daily brew it, it was funny i was kind of thinking about it and then sean and seth kind of brought it up and i just kind of pushed it over the the, the finish line talking about all the players if you think about players that texas have drafted third round and beyond yeah you could put together a full a full roster a full roster of players you know tj yates running back you know arian foster Dominic uh, Davis, Dominic Williams, um, Kiki QT, tight ends, Fedorowicz, Owen Daniels, Jordan Akins, you know, Derek Newton. I mean, yeah. I went through and I, I put together a, a starting 22 of players that were drafted in the third round or later. So you can, you can find value. Now, obviously, that's 19 drafts. But you still, if you're able to find two, three starters from third round and beyond, you got to feel like this has been a pretty, a pretty effective draft. And it needs to be, but you got to feel like if you get two or three of those guys, um, like you have in previous years, you know, 2018, getting Jordan Akins and Jordan Reed, uh, Jordan Reed, uh, J- Jordan Akins and Justin Reed, you yep. got to feel pretty good. Yeah, uh, no, I think, look, it's always a great point to remind everybody that you can get value in the draft. The greatest quarterback of all time is a sixth round draft choice. Uh, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, Joe Montana, is a third-round draft yep. choice. I mean, it, you know, the list goes on and on. Terrell Davis in the sixth, sixth round. The list goes on and on and on, and I'm, I'm glad that they brought up this particular franchise and everybody who they've gotten, despite getting some criticism for mid-round selections, everybody they've gotten down the line because you've got to feel the team. It's not just about the quarterback, and I just mentioned a couple of quarterbacks who were not first- or second-round draft choices. You've got to field an entire team, and it's not just about this year. It's about building for the future, but I like the approach they're taking. Now, he was asked, obviously, questions about Deshaun Watson today, and, and Nick was very clear on letting the process play out legally. It is a legal matter. I mean, everybody's listening to what everyone's saying about it, so uh, we'll just leave it at that like we do every night here. We talk ball, but, Johnny, the quarterback position is asked about, was addressed by Casario, and he was asked specifically about Tyrod Taylor, who's on this team now and has some playing experience. And I didn't get to this part with you last night. I did ask the general, but 
in Taylor, if they have to end up playing Taylor or end up playing Taylor for whatever reason, what are they getting in Taylor at this stage of his career? What does he bring to the table just in a vacuum? Steadiness, steady, trustworthy, not going to turn the ball over much, doesn't take a ton of, a ton of risks, ton of chances, is willing to live to see second and third down. If the play breaks down, he could take off and he can scoot now. He's, he's still got some juice. So I think he's got the things that you, you feel you know, great about. Look, is he going to be able to make every single throw that we've seen the last three or four years? No. But I think he is going to take care of the football. Um, he's going to run it himself when he needs to. And I think he is going to be the steady hand that when he gets in the huddle and he looks his guys in the eyes, they trust him. And they know, look, we're in, we're in good hands with this guy. Yeah, And I think he is going to be the utmost professional. And to your point about, about, the, um, about uh, you know, drafting a quarterback, if that's, if that's on the table. You know, we talked to the general last night, and uh, one thing I took out of our conversation, outside of the fact is, is that man loves his alma mater, Baylor University, as well as he should. He mentioned he had in his mock draft taken Kellen Mond at 67 from Texas A&M. And when I think about a rookie and I want to know what quarterback, you know, what's the quarterback room like, all of a sudden throw a rookie in that mix. First of all, Kellamon would be the right kind of rookie because he'll soak in everything. Uh, he's, he's kind of a quiet guy by nature, but his players follow him. Jimbo Fisher loved him. He learned under Jimbo. Jimbo coached him hard and Kellamon responded. And I think Terod Taylor would be the consummate professional to help Mond get to a different level of play. So if Mond had to go in a game, Terod Taylor is the kind of guy you want on the sideline to be able to say, all right, young buck, here's what you should be looking for. When safety comes down, here's what they're doing. When they have this guy in the game, this is what you should be looking at. You know, if they're in this particular coverage, you know, look this way, look safety's off, go this way. You know, those are the things that Terod Taylor is going to be able to provide, even if, He's not on the field, and they are going with a rookie or another uh, quarterback that's not him. I There's something soothing about knowing that Trod Taylor is soothing. potentially the, yeah. the starting quarterback for this team if things you know are, are going to stay where they are. I, I feel okay about that. And more than okay, I feel like, all right, this, this, this offense won't put up 40 points a game, but I know they're not going to sit there and turn the ball over and do a bunch of dumb stuff that offense is going to be led by one of the better professionals in this game. And I feel good about that. Well, you want the Vander assessment because I actually, the other night as I lay awake and sometimes, you know, when you can't <laughs> sleep and, and yeah. people who are listening right now, if you're one of the people who like me on occasion, I just get insomnia. Like I can fall asleep very easily, but I'll wake up at about two, two thirty, and I'm up for a while. And yep. if I got stuff on my mind, I'm better off just taking care of that stuff right then than trying to sleep. And then, you know, thinking yeah, the wheels are turning. Anyway, so I decided uh, I'd get up and do some things. And then I said, you know what? I haven't really watched Taylor yet. I mean, he's on our team. Let's take a look at what he yeah. can do. And, and the Vander assessment, really educated assessment is, uh, you're right. He doesn't, he doesn't throw picks. This guy does not throw picks. Uh, everyone talks about mobility. And it's not like, oh, Wild Fran, Tarkenton scrambles and that kind of thing. You're talking about a guy who can do designed rollouts, move that pocket, high percentage passes, and guess what? The ball is out fast with him. I think that with the receivers you have, if you have to go in this direction, 
you could do a lot worse. This this could really be interesting. Now, I think for the Texans, no matter what happens under center, they've got to run the ball better. Big breaking news headline there. They've got to run the ball better in 2021, no doubt. And I think they got the tools to do it right now. The running backs they have, whatever else they decide to add from here, and the way the O-line is shaping up, you know, the, the upside of this O-line, this group they have, is pretty high. Now, they need some things, like we said last night, things they need to break right. They need a lot of things to break right, uh, but maybe not as many as you think, and it could all be uh, pretty cool here. All right, a couple of other things I want to hit on in this segment. Uh, as Nick Casero met with the media today and, of course, was asked about the offseason program, well, that starts next week. But as you've been reading reports, um, there are so many teams, so many players around the league who have elected not to, not to participate. Some teams have a sort of hybrid participation. He was clear that, hey, guys have been coming in to work out. We're open. Come on in. Work out. We'll take care of you. Uh, we've got the facility here. Johnny, I understand where the players are coming from. I think that this is a really interesting issue because it sort of reopens the CBA, you know, because you have COVID and even though the vaccine is here and many people have been vaxxed twice, you have, you've got your double dose, you're all set to go. I've had COVID and I've had one of the vaccinations, uh, you know, part one, I need part two, I need the sequel. So we'll see how it goes for me, but it, not everybody has had it yet. Some people won't take it yet. Protocols. I get it. I understand where they're coming from. I just think that, you know, they just have to live harmoniously through this time of the off season because we all, with the most important thing, is to get football played in the fall. We'll see how they arrive at that. I just feel like, ooh, this team could really use some work on the field. And I'll be surprised if they don't get at least some, somehow, some way, get at least some work before the big break prior to training camp. Maybe it doesn't happen and they just got to go to camp and suck it up from there, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, do, I think, depending on how you define worst case, best case scenario, but I think best case scenario is, we do see these guys for two, three weeks, you know, kind of an OTAs mini camp sort of session, just kind of a, you know, kind of a quickie in and out. You come there, you just give the rookies the lay of the land. They come see the building, kind of know where things are. Maybe you, you know, go, you know, with training camp, you kind of uh, change training camp a little bit. Look, there are three preseason games, at least that we, we believe that are, are going to be, uh, that are going to happen. And I think after last year, Look, I know for, you know, the starters are kind of like, yeah, preseason games, let's just get to the regular season. Most preseason games, I think they're hugely important for guys, and especially for this roster that, you know, none of these guys have played together for the most part. So, yeah. you know, putting them all in the same field together in the same jersey will be kind of interesting. But I think that's kind of the best cases we'll get that. I think the worst case would be just get to training camp, and hopefully by training camp, third week in July, whatever they decide it's going to be this year, that you know they take kind of a ramp up period, and then they're they're ready they're ready to go from there. I do think, and I said this the other night, Mark. I don't know. I think you were uh, you were having your golf tournament, and I talked about this kind of off season. And so, look, maybe that's the compromise all along. Instead of having like six weeks of on site conditioning or whatever it was. Then three weeks of OTAs and a week of minicamp, condense all that, let them do virtual meetings leading up to maybe a two or three OTA and then a minicamp and then away you go. And then you come back to training camp and you're ready to go. I, I think that feels like a compromise that everybody could get with because the players are like, look, we don't have to spend five or six weeks at the facility 
just doing virtual meetings and conditioning. We can do that on our own. Trust us. We did it last year. But then we'll be in the building for a little bit of practice to put everything together. And I, you know, I know, look, I know the players don't, you know, love the off season, but I would imagine for a shortened two, three week period or three or four week period, I think the players would actually sort of like it, like getting back around their teammates, meeting their new teammates, helping the rookies, just kind of getting in that mindset and then taking that break. That break is obviously huge for them to get ready for training camp. But I think as opposed to a nine, 10 week or I don't know, whatever, how many weeks it is, 11, 12 week off season, cutting that down to like two to three weeks or three to four weeks. I think the players could get with that. And I think the teams and the organizations would be fine with that as well. And again, so you that's mean, me speaking, not you. You, Yeah, I know. These are just our opinions, okay? Not the official opinions of Texans football <laughs> operations. So, I mean, I want to be clear about that. But you're saying in the future that could be a compromise yes. Yes. moving forward. If I mean, if that's going to be negotiated again because they just signed an agreement that says, hey, they should be in voluntarily, of course. But we all know the history of this thing. That's the thing I don't get. The history of this thing is that, yeah, it's voluntary, but the voluntary is kind of in quotes. It's like, well, it's voluntary that you pull the cord on your parachute when you jump out of an airplane. That's <laughs> voluntary as well. It's not that severe. I get it. But when they negotiated the CBA, they all knew what the lay of the land was going in prior to COVID hitting. I know COVID kind of changes everything. I just think it would be great to get together at least for a little bit, like you said, so you don't have to introduce yourself come late July. You know who your teammates are. You know the install is done because – during OTAs is what training camp kind of used to be. You know, now you just have two weeks of training camp. That's just practice. You know, the yeah, install has already really taken place, the foundation of it. Now, you might be putting in some decorations and things like that, but the basic stuff is in. And that's where, look, what did we always hear about the Bill O'Brien offense, right? It's the most complicated offense. Oh, my gosh. So what are we running here with Tim Kelly? You know, we, you and I visited with Nick. We really didn't get into a lot of those details yet. You know, yeah. I really want to get into that with Kelly a little bit. What are you really running here? Did you kind of simplify it a little bit? Because you know that we have guys who are coming together from all over the world to play here for the Houston Texans uh, with 400 new players this year, whatever the number is going to be by the time we hit the starting line. So you want to make sure that they can get acclimated and assimilate the offense as quickly as possible. But guess what? They know this, you know, they sit around the conference room table or the zoom meeting or whatever. And they're like, you know what? We got to make sure they can, they can grasp this very quickly. Yeah. Otherwise it's going to be too complicated. It, what strikes me when I look back at the O'Brien era, Johnny, and I know you feel this way too, that they often had their best coaching performances when the chips were down and they yes. had to sort of simplify things and just go, you know, let's, it's one off game plan, right? Case Keenum out of a deer blind, one off yes. game plan. We dominate the Ravens. Deshaun Watson on a short week with no tight ends. They didn't dominate the game, but they won the game on the right. road against an opponent that was really hungry. And situations like that, they often had their best stuff as a coaching staff, their best work. And I know all those guys are gone. But you have Bobby King here, and obviously Tim Kelly is a very key component returning as the offensive coordinator. We'll see, you know, because I think this entire year might feel a little bit like that. Let's see what we can put together for 2021. Yeah, yeah and there's no doubt. Don't forget the second half of the Bills playoff game. 
Talk about yeah. the, the epitome of back to the wall and backs to the wall. I mean, that's a, I mean, that's what that whole, you know, second half was, you know, you've, you've seen Gilly in the game game, like, man, Gilly hasn't played hardly at all. How's he in the game? And they're doing some different things with, with RPOs and, and how they're doing it like that, that second half. That, exactly. And I, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm curious to see what, you know, what offense I've been watching Illinois from last year. And that looks a little different from the Lovey Smith defense that I was Ooh. used to seeing. There are some different wrinkles in there. So will we see some of that? How we, how's that going to look? So I, I'm, I'm really curious how the football aspect comes together. I've been, I've loved the roster building stuff just to see every day. Okay. What are they doing? Then you yeah. see teams releasing players and you're like, okay, could Nick go after this guy? And Maybe they do. Maurice Hurst and Arden Key got released by the, the Raiders, made it through waivers. You know, we can always use edge and interior defensive line help. Maybe you give them a call and see what they got. All right. Hold that thought. We've got more likely to happen coming up. We've got news from around the league. You just gave some of it that we have to get to. We got a whole lot of things happening here on Texans All Access. Stick around. Can't get enough Texans radio? We've got shows. We've got podcasts. We've got interviews. It's all on HoustonTexans.com. The winner of the March Houston Texans Star of Courage Award presented by Apache is Larry Hill. After a long career as a paramedic, Larry founded Medic Outpost, a nonprofit based in Houston that supplies basic life support equipment and gently used medical equipment and training to rural communities in Africa, Central America, and Mexico. With COVID-19, Medic Outpost shifted their focus to battle COVID-19 in Texas by building and supplying intubation boxes, PPE, and other needed equipment to hospitals in West Texas. Thank you, Larry, for all you do. Welcome to Louisiana's largest casino resort. Come to Cachada Casino Resort and play the largest gaming floor in the Lake Charles area with thousands of the newest, most exciting slots, over 65 table games, live poker and off-track betting, plus beautiful hotels, award-winning cuisine, and the number one rated golf course in Louisiana. Experience good old Louisiana hospitality Cachada style at Cachada Casino Resort, Louisiana's best bet. It's Battle Red Radio, Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610. Here's more of Texans All Access. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Happy Friday, Texans Radio, keeping you company on the drive home or wherever you are headed right now. Johnny, are you ready to play the game that we play usually on Thursday, sometimes on Fridays, but we're going to play it tonight. It's Friday. Let's do it. More likely to happen. More likely to happen. A trade made by the Texans that affects Friday night or not. In other words, right now, they have one pick on Friday night of the draft. Two weeks from tonight, they will make a selection, a third-round selection. Will they have a trade that affects that night? Will they drop down or somehow package something to move up into the second round? I don't know. But will it happen or not? I think they will make one pick on Friday night. I think that pick will not happen at 67. Ooh. Ooh. So you think they move up or down? Down. Down. They down. move down to move get down. more fourth rounders, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Maybe maybe even maybe even something next year. Depending on look, they're sitting at 67. That's a high, that's a high third. 
Some yep. teams would say, "Hey, man, that's a low, that's a low second, and that's a yeah. that's a valuable pick." Somebody sitting there comes off the board, and and maybe a team is just dead set on having that player, and they call Nick, and they're like, "Look, man, we'll give you, um, you know, we'll give you our third, which is you know, a late third or a compensatory third, and we'll give you uh, a third next year. Move on down." And we'll move up and go get our player. I mean, at that point, if I'm Nick, the, the philosophy, if I if we just kind of go on what we've seen, not what he's told us, but what we've seen, he's gonna try and find every way possible to add as much paint on the canvas as possible before he kind of puts everything together to get the full painting. So if somebody calls him and says, Look, move on down to, to compensatory land in round three, we'll give you that pick. And we'll give you a second or third next year. Do it. Heck yeah, you do it. I mean, whatever you can pile up for 2022. You know, the one thing about these two drafts, and it's it's not an excuse to draft poorly, but I do think if you can find players in these drafts, but then when things are quote unquote back to normal, you can have your scouts out on a, a full scouting. Uh, regimen in 2021 season so that you're just ready to go for 2022 I think you're you're that much better off I'm not saying that you get rid of these picks you walk out of there with eight players but I think if you can move down I mean that'd be a perfect scenario right there to me for us on radio not so good but if I'm looking at going look I just got I'm moving down I'm staying in the third but I'm getting a second or third rounder from next year to do it heck yeah bring it on let's go let's do it I, I, I want more players. I want more picks because I guarantee you after this year is over, Nick's going to go through that roster building situation again. And he's going to be able to look and say, okay, we drafted these guys, we signed these guys. We like these guys, these guys, not so much. So let's churn that bottom of the roster and let's go. Now let's get ready for 2022's draft and see where we sit, uh, what we have on hand and who knows how the situation will play out at that one position that we don't talk a lot about right now. Who knows how that plays out? So to me, you just accumulate as much as you possibly can. You don't have to have pick number ninety, number sixty-seven, right? It's not written in in Texans right. uh, constitution that you got to have it. But you walk out of there with pick number ninety-three, and you get the second-round pick next year that might turn into number fifty-two. This is your second-round pick. In addition to your first-round pick, man, that's how you start building this thing. So yes, yeah, down. I know. I just I I need instant gratification from the dog. This is just who I am. All right. <laughs> well, you're all gonna right. get you're gonna get it a little bit later. That's uh, all. Yeah, I know, but I want it now. All right. Oh, yeah, next yeah. up, more likely to happen. They take a quarterback in this draft, or they don't take a quarterback. I'm just I'm talking about sixth round, seventh round. It could be anywhere. Do they take one or not? More likely to happen. I think you take quarterback. Now, I your your first. By the way, have you done a second Vandermark and I've missed it? No, I'm going to do one next week. Okay, all right. Just making sure. Yep. Your first Vandermark, you had Sam Ellinger late rounds yes, going did. to the Texans. Mm-hmm. And I liked that idea a lot because I felt like maybe you try and squeeze something out of that pick, i.e. maybe you find kind of this slash sort of role for Sam Ellinger. Obviously, he continues to work at quarterback. Everybody will point to Taysom Hill, kind of old heads will point to Cardell Stewart. You know, guy that can do a little bit of everything. Maybe line up at quarterback, maybe line up at running back. There are some things you can do. Now, if you have your choice of players, do I want to have 
Phil Lindsay on the field and Mark Ingram on the field or David Johnson on the field versus Sam Ellinger. Ooh, but a play here, a play there. Yeah. Who knows what you could do with a guy like that? So, yeah, and, and you then continue to allow him to develop that quarterback. I don't love this quarterback class uh, once you get beyond Mond, Trask, uh, you know, Davis Mills. But I could see them taking one at 67, one of those three guys. Uh, I would go Mond, Mills, then Trask. But you, you could take any of those three guys, and I would be okay with it. Let, the, let those guys develop a little bit. They're all a little bit different. But I think, yeah, I, I, I would be fine with that. So I think to have a young guy to mold the quarterback position will be helpful because you just – I mean, we have, we have no idea. I mean, think back to Belichick's first draft with the Patriots in 2000. And get the sixth round, pick 199, and they're like, hey, you like this Brady kid? What do you think? He's sixth round. I mean, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, draft him. He's yeah, he did he did well. And look what happens. So. I want to see that draft room footage. We're geniuses. We just picked a guy <laughs> who's gonna go to 10 Super Bowls. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. uh yeah, probably not. By the way, I'll, I'll be shocked if they take a quarterback at 67. I'm just saying that right now on the record. Yeah, All I right. don't think it'll be 67, but I think I know, it'll happen. I know. Uh, McLean put it in his mock, but you know, look, mock dra- I put Ellinger in mind because I want to watch more entertaining preseason games. And I think he'll definitely help in that, in that regard. And you never know what else let's yes. get to the next one. More likely to happen. All right. Last night you said, because fields is the betting favorite to be the third pick. And I said, is he going to be the third pick? And you said, probably, right? Yes. I would right. pick Trey Lance, but Trey Lance or Justin right, right. Fields. But what's going to happen. So more likely to happen. Who's next, Mac Jones or Trey Lance? Not your selection, but what do you think teams will do? And I still think Atlanta there at number four is highly intriguing. What happens there? And we still don't know it's going to be Fields for sure because we don't know. I I have Lance ahead of Fields and Mac Jones, so I've got to say Trey Lance. And And I believe that. I think he's just got. I think he's got a higher ceiling. You think about the teams that are drafting after the 49ers will draft at three you've got the Atlanta Falcons you know they they have Matt Ryan um you know do they want they want to shake things up when you think about think about Trey Lance a guy that ability think about Arthur Smith getting an even more athletic Ryan Tannehill that's what he would be getting in Atlanta pick five Cincinnati no uh six right now is Miami Miami could entertain you know a Trey Lance seven is Detroit Ooh, that's one to look at. I don't think they will, but they could. They could. Seven is Detroit. I would not rule out a quarterback in Detroit. Now I wouldn't do it because they've already traded for Goff. But 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 if it's Trey, if Trey Lance is sitting there, and I'm Brad Holmes, I I I throw that card. I go get him. That's me. If it's Trey Lance, the Broncos could use quarterback at nine. Um, The Patriots at fifteen. I think those those teams to me. Uh, they they scream Trey Lance, bring him in, let him sit behind. Think of the Patriots. Let Cam Newton play this year. Let Lance sit. Second year, he take off. Is Mond the fifth quarterback? I think so, yeah. No, All right. Mac. Max the fifth. Mond oh, yeah, the yeah. sixth. Ma- Max the fifth, right. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, because I keep thinking, I keep forgetting about Trevor Lawrence. He's so like he's yeah. got a statue there at one overall. Yeah. We don't even talk about him ever, Nothing. but – that's why I have a hard time believing Mond will still even be there at 67 in McLean's block. Yeah. He had him there. I just have a hard time believing he's even going to be there. All right, let's get to the final one. More likely to happen. 
top five trade before the draft or not, or during the draft. So will there be a trade among these top five? I know we've had movement already, but will there be a trade? Uh, This one doesn't involve the Texans. Unless it does. No, this one doesn't involve the Texans. But, Don't even uh, do that to me. I know. Don't even uh, do that to me. But I'm just saying, like, because, you know, I, I keep talking about Atlanta. And you mentioned yeah, Arthur yeah. Smith. And you look at Matt Ryan. And he's older than I am. And the rest of it. So what do you think? I I had this conversation, I think, with me. I think you were uh, out. I think I talked about this on Monday. About Atlanta at four. I feel like Atlanta is in a great spot. Because... They have a Pro Bowl quarterback. If one falls to them at four that they didn't think was going to be like, for example, let's say Justin Fields does get the four. He's from Harrison, Georgia. Oh, man, you'd be, you'd be enticed with Fields and maybe Lance. The flip side of that is there are going to be teams also intrigued by those quarterbacks. So does Terry Fontenot, first-time GM like Nick, listen to those teams and say, look, you know, Chicago calls, and Chicago's like dying to have a quarterback. Chicago's at 20. And you don't want to maybe not go all the way down to 20, but if they end up giving you two or three years worth of first rounders to move 16 spots and, they love and you still have Matt Ryan, you're going to come away with all these draft picks over the next yeah. few years. That's how you build it. That's how you get it done. If I'm Terry Fontenot, I do that in a heartbeat. So I think they will be enticed by a team that will feel like, man, Fields, Lance, one of those quarterbacks is there. We have to go get them. We have to go do it now. Maybe not as many as I thought because Carolina made the deal for Darnold and, you know, the 49ers went up to three already. You know, does Miami go up a couple spots to get a guy that they like because they're not enamored with two? I don't think that happens. Denver. Denver's another one. From nine to four, that's only five spots. Maybe that's just next year's one. And they go up and they get the guy that they want, be it Lance or Fields or even Mac Jones. So I think if I'm Atlanta, I trade that pick. And I've been saying that for a while. So, yes, I think there will be a deal done. I think Atlanta's that deal. All right, next up, we'll go around the league a bit. Booth review or no as far as autonomy from the booth. We'll explain. It's all coming up, among other things, next on Texans Radio. Touchdown! Texans Radio continues in a moment. It's Mattress Firm's semi-annual sale, where you can save up to $300 on our top-rated brands like Sealy and Sleepies. Plus, get a free adjustable base when you spend $6.99 on Sealy. Or buy Tempur-Pedic and get a $300 instant gift good towards sleep accessories. Shop Tempur-Pedic, Stearns & Foster, and more with our sleep experts today to find your best sleep. Only at Mattress Firm. Offer valid with qualifying purchase. Restrictions apply. Valid at participating locations only. For offer details, visit mattressfirm.com sale. Teachers and parents, are you looking for an educational resource to keep your students engaged? The Houston Texans Toro and ConocoPhillips have partnered together to provide Toro's Math Drills. Toro's Math Drills is a free video series that will challenge your students to math topics like fractions, multiplication, division, and place value, all while having fun. Sign up today for free at HoustonTexans.com on the Kids School Program page and run your students through Toro's Math Drills, presented by ConocoPhillips. Go Texans! Go Texans! Go! If you love podcasts and you love the Texans, you'll love our Texans podcasts. Now available on iTunes and HoustonTexans.com. It's Texans Radio. Let's go around the league here. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Johnny, booth review we're going to have an official in the booth that can advise the game officials on 
and I'm quoting here from the story, specific objective aspects of a play when clear and obvious video evidence is present. In other words, the officials blow something in the game and it can get, well, they can get the input, if you will, from the men upstairs looking at what is going on on the field. And also administration issues are included in this, such as clock management, spotting of the ball, things like that. Your thoughts on this proposal? As long as there is little interruption to the flow of the game, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. But if we're going to have an interruption in the game to move the ball, you know, a yard or, you know, whatever the, whatever the case might be, I, then, then I'm like, okay, come on. If it's a, we all look, think back to that, that NFC championship play, that obviously is where booth review would have come in in a, in a massive way. I think about our playoff game against the Bills, you know, when um, DeAndre Carter just took the ball and flipped it at Tony Carrente, and Carrente moves, moves out of the way, lets him fall on it for a touchdown. You know, booth review coming in now. In that game, the extra official on the sideline, ironically, was the guy the side judge who missed the call against the Rams and saints went out on the field immediately to discuss that with Tony Corrente. They obviously overturned and gave the ball to the Texans. And it was a huge play in that game. It was the right call in that game that I think would come from a booth review. And that's the kind of thing that would come from booth review. And I'm all for that. They can't call holding. They can't call holding or any kind of penalty pass interference. I think that's okay too. That's okay. you know, I, it, you, they're never going to be perfect. Let's just right. call it what it is. It's never going to be perfect. But if something was a, a clear and obvious miss as far as complete, incomplete, yes. that kind of thing, they can help out. I think it's going to get it's going to get a little clunky. It's going to be very difficult to do this properly. But I'm all in favor of getting stuff right. I just can't stand like I'm watching college football. They stop the game all the time. I'm watching college basketball. They stop it way too often. I'm watching the NBA. One thing I can't stand about watching basketball is when and I've said this before when, oh, five minutes ago, that was a three and not a two. No, 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 (laughs) no. You cannot do that. (laughs) Come on. Come on. You know, the, the only thing worse than that to me was PGA tournaments allowing people to actually call in like i'm on my couch in my living room and i saw that dustin johnson grounded his club on the third hole in the hazard and you got to be able to are you serious yeah you can't have that stuff look officiating is never never gonna be perfect anyone who complains about officiating try to officiate anything youth league sports oh no will be saying Mm. oh my gosh this is hard these guys are these guys and gals are way better than I ever uh, gave them credit for, and it's way tougher. you got to understand that. I know these are pros, but it's, you know, they're human, and they make mistakes. Yeah, it is not. It's not easy to officiate a game that moves as fast as, as ours does in the NFL. Just, it's impossible. I officiated a baseball game behind the plate when I was 14 Ooh. years old doing young oh. kids, and I kind of got animated with my ball strike call, and oh. – and the ball got dropped, and I'm in my ball in my in my strike three call, and the kid doesn't know whether he should run or not. Oh man, the parents were killing me. I'm like, I am never, I'm never ever doing this ever again. Forget that. Done Drop with that. Drop third strike, and you call it a strike. 
<laughs> it was bad. It was bad. I mean, I was just, I was all the way to the side, like ready to ring him up. You know, oh, yeah. my friends and I growing up, we always tried to imitate all the officials, you sure. know, strike three calls and all that. So I was doing that. And I didn't see the ball drop and the kid didn't see it uh, either. And, and I'm in my animated call and, you know, all that goes on. Oh, the parents are just killing me. I, but forget it. I'm not doing this. I mean, it's weird watching baseball and they have the strike zone and you have the graphic, you see it perfectly. Yeah. I know it's not perfect because you can't get the spatial relations right exactly. Right. But when you see a pitch outside, you see the umpire call it a strike. I'm still amazed that the umpires allow this to happen. I'm amazed yeah. because they don't even want you showing replays in the stadium that yeah. much. Yep. That always yeah. blows me away when, I, when I'm at a baseball game and I'm thinking, where's the replay? Come on, let's see the replay of that play. Nope. And it's not because it was controversial. They just don't want too many replays. And Did you hear, do you hear the story about Joe West? Tell me. So Paul LaDuca, so Sean and Seth told the story the other day on 610. Paul LaDuca told the story about how, long, uh, long story short, Billy Wagner was pitching, and Paul LaDuca didn't, didn't like Joe West. Joe West, the home plate umpire, didn't like Paul LaDuca, oh, but yeah. Joe West loved Billy Wagner. And so he was giving him some calls. And so LaDuca told the story basically that Wagner was allowing West to drive his 57 Chevy when he was there for a weekend assignment. And LaDuca and told the story. West sued him and won $500,000 in the settlement. And it was like, wow. I mean, how many times do we tell stories about officials? And finally, an umpire just said, nope, that's, that's not a true story and sued him. You know who loves that story? lawyers yes Johnny, that's it for tonight thanks so much and check out houstontexans.com johnny's story today and all the other stories nick casario's press conference we've got the whole thing up there check it out we'll have nick on next week have a great weekend everyone and go texans this is texans radio on sports radio 610 when an unexpected injury or illness occurs it's important to know where to go for quality care close to home Houston Methodist Emergency Care Centers and Emergency Departments offer a full range of care 24-7, 365 days a year for patients of all ages. We are taking extra precautions to keep you safe. Isolating suspected coronavirus patients, screening all visitors, requiring masks, and enforcing social distancing. Visit HoustonMethodist.org slash ER to find a location near you. Location near you.